Hello and welcome to the Under the Spotlight podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Ed Shares Adokru. This episode is our third instalment of our Managers Under the Spotlight series brought to you by Breaking the Lines and Why Football. Today, I'm pleased to say we are joined by Oshin Dogri. Oshin is a writer for Breaking the Lines and has, features, has, has, and has featured in other online publications such as United District and Backpage Football. Uh, Yushin is joining us today to discuss Moyes' revival at West Ham and will discuss how far Moyes can take the Hammers under his management. So, Ushin, if I pronounce your name correctly, I kind of <laughs> I hit a few stumbling blocks during that introduction. It's it's close enough. It's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thanks very much. I hope you guys are keeping well. Yeah, all, all good, all good here. Very excited to touch on Moyes and his revival. Um, as a Sunderland fan, it is hop. It's somewhat heartbreaking to see him <laughs> now in his current capacity. Um, it speaks speaks volumes about our club. Um, but obviously, he had um, some falterings at Saucy Dad and elsewhere, um, and obviously United um, too. But uh, yeah. Etches, how are you doing? Bring you in. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So often on this pod, I always try and analyse the moment that Dryden mentions some link to Sunderland's and that took about All one roads. minute, All one roads. minute, one minute, 34 seconds. And you had to associate the ties between Moyes and uh, Sunderland. Oh, come on, it's David Moyes. Has to be. It is David Moyes. Uh, it is David Moyes, to be fair. And I know that he was very close to your heart, even though I believe he did. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think I'm very good. I've got the Carabao Cup tomorrow for Arsenal, which should be cracking. I've got tickets, so I'll be, I'll be at the game. But I'm excited for this episode. I think it should be really good. Excited to talk about Moyes and the revival. He, he he doesn't look better. He looks like pretty haggard, but he's had a big revival at West Ham and I think it would be good to cover it. So kind of to, to kick things off. Yushin, like looking at Breaking the Lines, I, I, I looked at you beforehand. You did articles on Ragnick's Revolution, which I actually quite enjoyed reading, and the Newcastle takeover bid. So what made you decide to do a piece on David Moyes himself? Um, well, I suppose, first of all, a disclaimer, I am a Manchester United fan, so I kind of have a bit of an interest in David Moyes, uh, similar to yourself, Michael, <laughs> not too fond <laughs> memories of his time at the club. Mm. But um, I suppose the first couple of pieces that I did um, for Breaking the Lions and for Backpage uh, Football were, they were kind of negative pieces. So like one of them was on Solskjaer, who was struggling massively at Man U at the time, and uh, and then the whole Newcastle thing, obviously. Um, so I suppose I kind of wanted to try to do something a bit more upbeat than uh, a football club being taken over by um well by the Saudis. So uh I kinda moved on to that. And then in, in terms of why West Ham, um my dad is a lifelong West Ham fan and uh, mm. so is my uncle actually. So like when we were growing up, we were constantly hearing stories of them going to like League Cup finals and FA Cup finals and being told stories about Bobby Moore and Trevor Brooking and all like the the West Ham guys that won the World Cup with England in uh, 66. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's always been a link with the family. And then in terms of Moyes in particular and West Ham for this season, um, we went over, my brother actually lives in London. And when we went over to see him, we went to Man United, we're playing West Ham at the London Stadium back in September. And Man United won that day. Um, I think Lingard scored a, a brilliant goal in the last minute. And I think Mark Noble missed um, I think he missed penalty with the last kick of the game. But mm. all we could talk about was how well set up uh, West Ham were. They had such a good structure. Everyone knew exactly what they had to do. And I think it was one of my brothers actually said, imagine if Moyes was managing Man United. 
what he could do with the team. Just a little bit of structure and a bit of like cohesion. So I suppose that kind of got me thinking about um, how strong West Ham have become under Moyes over the last two years. And I just thought it would be uh, really interesting to examine uh, this rise and kind of Moyes' redemption story. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, you share the pain of the the dark the dark years. I was going to say dark years is literally one year or ten months or something when he was at Man United, and yeah, the the structure at West Ham is very good. You know, they've been playing some good football, mightily impressive against Liverpool at home. Um, played quite poorly against Arsenal this season, but I know they, they played a good game against Chelsea as well, and they're fourth in the league, and, and rightly so. Um, they have every right to be from terms, in terms of the players they have and just the performances they've put in. They've, they've you've got the likes of Ford Niles playing very well now, and obviously Antonio's kicked on, and then you're looking at Declan Rice, who I think I personally think has got even a lot better under Moyes compared to what he's doing under Pellegrini. So it's all shaping up uh, for, for the rosy times that he's got now. Kind of moving on from that one, like, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're talking about all the good stuff about David Moyes and how well he's doing and how great he is. But he actually was at West Ham before they gave the job to Pellegrini uh, as the interim manager. And that, that was that was torrid times. I think Slavin Bilic had been sacked and he was brought in to kind of claw them out the relegation spots because that's where they were. And he managed to swerve relegation with two games to spare. But you know, after that sort of positive energy he kind of brought to the club, he was overlooked by Pellegrini. Why Why do you think he missed out the first time and, and what changed the second time round? Um, I suppose, I, I think there's a couple of reasons why he was kind of um, passed over the first time. Like, as you said, he actually did quite well because West Ham were pretty poor that season and to stay up was, he did a pretty good job. But I think the main reason was at the time, Moise's reputation was still pretty damaged. Um, it wasn't too long after the relegation with Sunderland, the the Sociedad kind of disaster, and with Man U. So his reputation wasn't exactly, um, wasn't in the best shape. And like, if, if even if you look back, so we know the United spell was a disaster. I think it was their worst Premier League season ever. Well, maybe until this season, we might break that record. But like the Sociedad move, now in fairness, I, I'm not going to pretend that I saw an awful lot of Real Sociedad, but... Just looking at the raw stats, like they finished 12th in his first half season with them. And then he got sacked the following season and they were only outside the relegation uh, zone on goal difference. And I think the season before Moyes took over Sociedad, uh, he, they were actually in the Champions League. So they went from Champions League to 12th to just outside the relegation zone. Um, so like, e- even though his, his, uh, his first half season at West Ham was pretty decent, his reputation was still pretty tarnished from uh, his his previous three clubs. And I think another pretty interesting reason is that um, I think West Ham wanted a manager just with a big name. Uh, you know, they moved to the stadium. It wasn't exactly an easy move. The fans were pretty unhappy because they didn't want to be there. And it, it really didn't feel like home. And I think they wanted a manager with like a bit of an aura about him and a bit of like, you know, yeah, a bit of an aura and a bit of a reputation, a big reputation. And you look at Pellegrini, he had won the Premier League. Um, I believe he managed Real Madrid. He was always in the Champions League with, with big teams. So I think from that respect, he definitely fit the bill a bit better than David Moyes at the time. Now, if you were to offer the board uh, the chance to go back in time, I'm sure they probably would have stuck with Moyes and took an extra 18 months of of uh, Moyes in charge because who knows where they could be if he, they had had that extra 
almost two years. But yeah, I think I think Moyes' reputation, this spell at West Ham has improved it so much more so than his uh, first half season at the club. Well, with your family members being fans, you've got the inside scoop from the fan base in a sense. What was the what was the reaction when Pellegrini came in? Because I think as a neutral uh, onlooker, it looked like a really positive move. Obviously, he'd play as sorry, he'd managed at top clubs. He'd obviously been at Manchester City. He was given a bit of a war chest, brought a lot of players in, and I imagine the fan base were very excited because obviously there's a lot of discontent in the past, and there still is about the ownership um, and lack of ambition previously. I think. On paper, it looked like a good move. Like, um, as I said, Premier League winner, big name. He had actually done a pretty good... I think it kind of gets overlooked. He actually... People kind of forget about him at City. They think it's Mancini and then nothing really happened for years. And then Guardiola took over. <laughs> but like, he, actually, he actually did all right at Man City. But I, I, think, um, I think West Ham fans in general at the time, I think they had such a mistrust in the board. I don't, I don't think it really mattered who they appointed. I don't think... Like, I can only speak for my father... He wasn't particularly thrilled with it, and I, I oh, have really? to give credit. Oh yeah, I have to mm. give credit to my dad. He um, he's been saying like he's been watching West Ham for years. Like he he knows exactly what's going to happen. So like he he said we were watching. <laughs> uh, they were playing Palace there a couple of weeks ago. They were three 0 up at half time, and my dad yeah. turns to me and says it'll be three two, and it'll be hanging on in the last minute. And <laughs> that's the exact thing that happened. So like <laughs> when he said that he wasn't, he he didn't really fancy the look of him. Um, or just kind of his methods and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think he may have. I think my dad may have been speaking for a pretty sizable portion of like diehard West Ham fans. And I think it's come out since that, like Pellegrini, like he was barely on the training ground and not really speaking to players and all this kind of stuff. So like, I, I think it was uh, it was a move that promised a lot, but uh, didn't really deliver in the end. Yeah, a, a guy who's seen a lot of false dawns. I mean, we've seen obviously we've seen with Ancelotti and Benitez at. Everton in recent seasons, two Champions League winners, and look what happened to both of them there. So, yeah, massively, and it's also that continental. I think the Premier League are unique where they're always craving the the European name. What I mean by that is, it, it, if you compare the Premier League to La Liga, in particular Germany, they very much recruit from within a lot of the time. Uh, you get managers who do well at Brighton's or. Southamptons and they'll get shots at the bigger jobs but in the Premier League it's very much a case of that's just not the case I think Brendan Rodgers was the last one when he left Swansea and joined Liverpool from mm. my memory uh, I know you could you could argue Arteta but he's different because he came within the coaching setup and Lampard from Derby I suppose but often they crave the Carlo Ancelotti's and the Pellegrini's with that European pedigree and as you rightly mentioned before with Benitez if you threw him in as well it doesn't always work out but this discussing failings, because we're on a bit of a trend now with that. Uh, you mentioned Moise's failings, particularly at the start of your article. Um, do you think Moise has actually learned from those experiences? Or is it, is it more of a case of he's been given more time? Because there's a few there in a row. Uh, I won't say Sunderland again, we've now already have, but also <laughs> Sociedad, as well as the United job, really. So do you think Moise has learned or have the West Ham board, everything's just clicked in together at the right time? Um, I think to give the credit to the West Ham board would be to be doing Moyes a bit of a disservice because like for for as long as I can remember, West Ham have been a little bit of a shambles. Like they've had a couple of good seasons, but you know, for a club that big, they've gotten relegated quite a few times, like in the past 15, 20 years. So like I but I think the main thing that Moyes has learned is he's clearly just gone back to basics 
and gone back to gone back to what worked uh, for him in the past. So like if you look at West Ham, as we said earlier, they're so well organized and they've such a clear identity and style of play. They know exactly what they want to do when they have the ball and without the ball. It they're they're just so difficult to break down. The amount of times I saw a stat actually that was floating around and I, I'm I think it's still um I think it's still valid. I think it was before Christmas that I w- West Ham had played 40 games in the Premier League in a row without losing by more than a single goal. So that kind of shows just how they mm. always stick in there and how they're such a difficult side to break down. Um, so like Moyes, he's gone back to basics and he's just made them incredibly difficult to beat. And I think as well, I think I mentioned in the article that the the West Ham side, it's very similar to the Everton team that he created when Moyes was arguably at his peak. So like it's definitely moulded in that kind of image that um, that he had back then at Everton. It's a really physical side. They're all very fit. They're all strong. They're all awkward. Like, I wouldn't say teams like playing against West Ham. Like, they didn't like playing against Everton. They definitely didn't like playing against West Ham. I like, they almost, I think the Hammers, they almost kind of play the role that Everton used to play in the league. So, like, I know Everton are kind of a bit of disaster and we had the Benitez thing there recently as well. But, like, it used to be if you went to Goodison Park and you got a win or you got a draw, like, I mean, you'd have to be taken seriously as as title contenders. Like, if, if you're offered teams a point going to Goodison, nine times out of ten, they'd be pretty happy with that. Um, and he's kind of done that with the London Stadium as well. And that's definitely much more of a fortress than it used to be. And I think even, like, the, the profile of players, he's gone back to players that have worked for him in the past. And I was kind of struck. I actually, like, I had heard on, um, just guys were talking on the radio, and someone mentioned the Everton similarities between Everton and West Ham but they never expanded on it so I that kind of got me thinking and uh, like they're kind of eerie some of the similarities between the two teams so like if you take Fellaini back in the day and you compare him with Thomas Socek like they're pretty similar and even Ogbonna and Jolien Lescott they're both left foot centre halves Sufal and Seamus Coleman pretty similar and Moise always used the target man with Everton he's got the ultimate target man in Antonio Set pieces mm-hmm. were a huge thing for uh, for Everton and West Ham are probably mm. the best or second best in the league. And even if you look at the left fulls, you've got Aaron Craswell compared to Leighton Baines, both English, both set piece specialists, and uh, they even have the same haircut. So, like you know, back to basics, I think is what Moyes has done mostly. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. It's one of those where do I think managers a lot of managers always adapt, but there are definitely core principles with the most successful ones that kind of always remain. And I think you highlight a few similarities between Moyes' old Everton team and the team he has now. Do you think now I don't want West Ham fans to, to start writing outside of where I live? I don't know if they do know where I live. But do you do you think that perhaps the failings at I wouldn't say Sociedad as much, but at both Sunderland and Man United was, was too high? Man United, because he's taken over from Sir Alex, you know, we've seen how it's happened at Arsenal when Wenger left, that sort of vacuum at the club and it's very hard to control, you know, big egos. I'm not saying West Ham didn't have that, but, you know, international winning 11. They needed a lot of rework as well. And Sunderland, because I'm not saying Sunderland necessarily a bigger club than West Ham, but it was, it was you know, Sunderland at the time were not doing particularly that well and it, it was the pressure potentially too high when he's in his relegation spots compared to what he has at West Ham? Or has he learned from that? And he's now come out of both of those experiences and now he's thinking, well, I can do this now. I do think that if you kind of look back, if you take yourself, like, if you look, if you, if you were watching Man United and Moyes back in 2013, 2014, you would have said, like, he hasn't got a clue, the team's a disaster and all this kind of stuff. 
But I mean, it's been seven or eight years since then and no one has got a grip of Man United. So I do think like there's a little caveat there that like Man United are probably the most difficult club in the world to try and sort out at the moment. And it's been that way for the better part of a decade. So I do think he might deserve a little bit of um, slack for that one. As I said with Sassi that like, I mean, the stats don't lie. It wasn't great there. And then Sunderland, I, I kind of feel similar with Sunderland as I do with Man U, because, like, no offence, Michael, but Sunderland were a shambles for a long, long time. <laughs> it was yep. just a matter of time before they ended up getting relegated. And obviously, Moyes kind of, he got the, the notoriety or the, or the you know, a lot of stick because of that. And I, I don't think he did well at any of those jobs, but I do think um, there was an extenuating circumstances, perhaps, but also, I think you're right, Eches, with the with the pressure. I think Moyes kind of thrives in this, um, when he, he thrives in these teams where they're not playing to win the league or they're not playing to just stay up. They're playing to be the best of the rest. And I think that Everton side were outside the big six. I think they were the best team probably of, of that three or four years in that era. And I think West Ham, definitely the last couple of years, I definitely think they're the best of the rest. I think they've kind of stepped above Leicester. And uh, you've got like the traditional big six and I think West Ham just outside it but I do think that's a good point with the pressure maybe he just wasn't up to it uh, with United at the time and with Sunderland obviously as well uh, yeah it's, it's a really interesting take on Sunderland because we um, by the point that Moyes came he kind of joined a sinking ship you know we had a revolving door of managers over 10 years and he just didn't have time to turn around so I don't really hold Moyes responsible for Sunderland's relegation Oh, it's good to know. I didn't know you were the Sunderland spokesperson. So, thanks for... <laughs> well, actually, that, I'm in the I'm in the minority for that view. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you raise a good point about um, being the best of the rest. Obviously, the Premier League is very competitive, and, and and no one is guaranteed to stay up or stay down. But there are a few sides that can be dragged in the relegation hunt. But ultimately, their aim is to try and be the best of the rest. Teams like Palace, teams like Southampton, teams like. West Ham would be in that category as well. And now Leicester, it's like you kind of stay in the Prem for four or five years. And then after that, you kind of aspire to be like, right, okay, we we need to try and be sixth best or fifth best or seventh best, get into Europe. And that's all the aim. So that's that quite a good point. Um, I think kind of moving on from that one is we've spoken about Moyes and a potential weakness in terms of um, his, whether or not he can handle the pressure. What would you say his specific strengths are as a coach? Now, the reason why I'm asking this question is because uh, I'm I'm 27, and I remember his Everton days relatively well. But you know, there are there are people actually that are honing on Moyes specifically around his United days. It kind of began then, where their their memory of Moyes is this fumbling man who you know can't really control the club, and this renaissance is isn't overdue. It's just more of a fluke. So I kind of wanted. To, to focus on what his actual strengths as a coach are. I um I think that's a good point that I do think his kind of his career at Everton it's kind of been forgotten a little bit. Like I was looking I was kind of I was actually doing a piece on um Everton there last week and I was looking at the positions that they finished in the table. So like for Moyes in his eleven seasons he finished in the top seven eight times and since he's left they've only finished in the top seven twice. So like as we said they were the best of the rest for a long, long time. And I do think that kind of gets dis- discarded a bit. So this whole notion of like, like you don't suddenly become an awful manager overnight. Those three jobs that we mentioned, 
there was a lot of things wrong with the clubs and things could have, could easily have went wrong for anybody in charge. I think, like, in terms of his biggest strengths, like, it sounds very basic to say, but he has his team defensively rock solid and he gets the best out of his players. Like, if you look at some of the guys that West Ham have, um, and not speaking, like, derogatory about them, but, like, if you were to look at the team sheet of these guys, like, Craig Dawson... Um, has been in the Premier League loads of times. He's got relegated a couple of times and he was signed for like a million and Moyes has turned him into, like he doesn't look out of place in that top six team. Now I know he's he's probably below um, Ogbonna and Zuma when they're both fit, but he doesn't look out of place there. Um, Jared Bowen, he had a bit of a dodgy spell in the Premier League with, with Hull, I believe it was. He went back to the championship, got relegated with Hull. Moyes took him up and Bowen is... I, I really like Jared Bowen, just a little side note. I think he's a class player. But, like, I think I saw Bowen was getting linked with, like, Liverpool and wouldn't look at a place there. So he's kind of he's kind of taken these guys that were a little bit under the radar, a little bit unknown, and has turned them into really very good players. So I do think he deserves a lot of credit with that. I think his man management skills probably shouldn't be underplayed. Now, there was critiques of that at his time at Man United. I can think of... Um, Rio Ferdinand was annoyed that he wasn't allowed to eat chips. So, like, you know, he, he has had, he has rubbed people up the wrong way in the past. But, like, like Declan Rice, I agree with you, HS. Like, I think he's just, and as an Irishman, it's tough to praise Declan Rice, but he is just unbelievable. Like, he's just out of this world. Like, him and Kante and Rodri are probably the three best in the league out on their own. And, like, and I don't mean this with any disrespect to West Ham, but, like, how is Declan Rice still at the club? A lot of that has to do with Moyes. And Moyes getting them to buy in and all this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, it's only three or four years ago, West Ham were, not, not even three or four years ago, sorry, two years ago, West Ham were, were dead certs to get relegated that first year with the COVID. And Moyes has just completely transformed them. And I think an awful lot is, of I think an awful lot of the transformation of West Ham from relegation candidates to top four candidates, it, it's basically all down to Moyes. And I think... His whole imprint on the club shouldn't be um, kind of discounted. And in terms of just on the field, like structure is just impeccable. They know what they're doing and he's just got buy-in from the players. And I think an awful lot of that has to come down to his um, man management skills. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I'm a huge Declan Rice fan. I think he's been fantastic. And yeah, I, it's difficult when we talk about um, managing a dressing room because I think there are so many types you need depending on the dressing room you have. I think squads like United, Real Madrid, Barcelona probably is a very tricky one because you've got a lot of international stars that can be quite difficult to manage. I think if you flip it and you pick a squad like West Ham, players aren't as good it's about making them a cohesive unit and improving them as players are also working with players that don't play we haven't seen a lot of people like Vlasic who joined for 30 minutes who we're going to talk about in a second you know not all the players are playing all the time Ben Rama born for big money I know he's played recently but he's not been the star man we've seen the likes of Jared Byrne he mentioned he's been exceptional this season you know he's not been getting his name in the lights as well so it's a different sort of management they've got the keeper on loan he's not in front of Fabianski he's not Ariola, who's at the club as well so uh, all of that type of managing, all of that type of managing, I think, yeah, was definitely strength of Moyes and definitely something I remember him a lot more for uh, at Everton. But yeah, you, you're definitely right on that one. So we mentioned uh, Vlasic, which is going to come into this next point. 
you know, the, the, the turning point of, of Moyes is like a multi of factors, you know. Um, you, you mentioned that the, his new signing settling in was, was one of them. And you won't go on to there's been more hits than misses in recent seasons. West Ham traditionally buy poorly. They, they always, in my opinion, they have done, spend a good amount of money and tend not to get the value on it. So is this more of a Moyes influence on this, this the, the, the new hits? So we're talking the Jared Bowens, the Ben Ramas to a certain extent, or are we, is it more of a, the club as a whole have improved? Um, I think an awful lot. I think the vast majority of this has to come down to David Moyes because, as you said, for years before that, West Ham had a horrendous track record. Like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, like um, Chicharito was bought and he was on crazy money and he did nothing. Um, even Payet, and Payet was class for a season. Like, he was, really, mm. he was probably the best player in the league that season. But, like, a year later, he was gone and there was a whole drama with that. And even recently enough, like Sebastian Haller. Now, I think Moyes did get rid of him, but Haller was... He was useless at West Ham. Like, uh, going back to my father again, my father, the anytime he was playing, he wouldn't watch the game. He thought that he was <laughs> he was so bad for West Ham. And now he's uh, top scorer in the Champions League. Like, so I, I think the club has a history of poor signings. But if you look since Moyes has come in, as we said, Sufal, Suchek, Ben Rama, even Ben Rama's probably uh, he hasn't played as much or as well as we would have thought, but he's still. For West Ham, he's still a pretty good boy. Um, Bowen, Dawson, Zuma was really good until he got injured this season. So I think a lot of it has to do with um, with Moyes. But I also think with recruitment, a lot of it is just to do a look. Um, I kind of think that it, it, it kind of goes like in a cycle or like a circle. And you see it with clubs all the time that they'll sign three or four players and immediately they'll settle in and they'll be brilliant. And then a couple of years later, they'll sign three or four players and they're awful. So if you look at, I actually jotted this down when I was doing the article. So like Liverpool, their transfer record for years was, was pretty bad. So like when they got they got Luis Suarez in, who was probably the, the only good signing for about four or five years. And when they sold him, they blew all of that money on Balotelli, Lazar Markovic, uh, Ricky Lambert and Dejan Lovren. <laughs> Markovic. Yeah, I remember Markovic. Like, what a list. Yeah. What a list. And then a couple of years later, Klopp comes in and in the space of two seasons, he gets Alisson, Salah, Mane, Fabinho, Van Dijk and, and Andy Robertson. So an awful lot of it is to do a look. A lot, An awful lot of it is to do with cycles and ups and downs. And I actually, I have one with Man United here as well. Like in the early 2000s, there was Cleverson and Jamba Jamba and all these guys signed. And then <laughs> in the space of three years, Fergie signed Vidic, Evra, Van der Sar, Carrick, Rooney and Ronaldo. And that was the Champions League winning team. So there's a lot of luck mm. involved, but I think because there's been such an uptake in recruitment, I think Moyes has to get an awful lot of credit. Yeah, I, I think that with signings all the time. I always go back to Alexis Sanchez leaving Arsenal for Man United for essentially... Uh, what was it? It was kind of like a free deal, but it was like a swap with Mkhitaryan. That was the most surefire signing of all time. Or it, to me, it would be near one because you're getting a guy who had basically torched the prem four years, three or four years in a row. He had a bad final six months, but you could you could put that down to he wanted to leave. That swap deal should have been one of the simplest transfers in terms of elite performance. He knows the league. He was 29, is in the peak of his powers. 
you know, where he can play, he's a fighter, everything. And it just went so badly that it always highlights that with, with, with whatever transfer you have, there's always a risk. There's always, it doesn't matter how, whether the guys are in the league for 10 years, it's just, there's just always that risk. And you mentioned the Liverpool signings before. I think if you added in the likes of Wijnaldum, who was signed from Newcastle, got relegated, Robertson, who came from Hull, who may have got relegated, you're thinking, why would you sign these players? But yeah, they, they've obviously gone on to be exceptional buyers. And yeah, West Ham's the same. The, the jury is out on some of them. Vlasic is one who was at Everton years ago and then left to Spartak Moscow and now he's come back to no went to CSKA sorry and now he's come back to to West Ham so jury's potentially out on that one and Alex Crowell who hasn't played at all but there will always be misses right so uh, I think Moyes does deserve his credit because there's definitely been a lot more hits uh, than misses so kind of kind of moving on to like West Ham and Moyes as well uh, overall um, what would you how Moise's future and West Ham's future kind of this is this is the honeymoon, isn't it? Because you know, West I doubt West Ham are gonna win the league and, and West Ham fans are, are very demanding. So how far do you think they can go together is the question. Um I think absolutely this is the honeymoon period. Um I think for this season, I think the top four is a possibility because you look at, you know, as we said, Man United are a shambles. Spurs, you never know what you're going to get. Arsenal have, <clears throat> excuse me, Arsenal have actually been pretty good this season, but still there's a little bit of a question mark there. Um, I think top four is a possibility, but I, I, I personally, I don't think they will get top four. I think they kind of missed their chance last season. Um, I know their, their form has picked up the last couple of weeks, but prior to Christmas and over Christmas, it had actually tailed off quite a bit. I think there was there was a couple of games where their entire back four was missing. So who knows? Um, who knows what could have happened if they had have had them there? But I think like an FA Cup or a Europa League, I think they can go deep in those competitions. Um, especially like the Europa League. Like I, I'm not sure. I, they're into the round of 16. So like I mean, that should be something that they should be really gunning for. Like teams from, excuse me, teams from continental Europe. They won't want to come to the London Stadium. Like it's the first time they've had European football in decades. And I was actually at the um, the last Europa League game before Christmas. They were playing uh, a Croatian team at Dynamo Zagreb. I think they were playing, and it was a dead rubber of a game. And there was fifty five thousand people in the stadium. So like, I, I think there's a huge kind of novelty to to Europe. And I think I, I would fancy West Ham to go deep in Europe. I think the real test for West Ham. Um, will be if Declan Royce leaves. Like, as we said, I don't think he'll be there next season. Um, or I'd be very surprised if he was there next season, especially if you look at, like, I know I keep going back to Man United, but you look at that midfield and you think Declan Royce would fit in there 100%. Chelsea, imagine if they had Rice and Kante in midfield. Now, I know Chelsea probably won't sign him after letting him go for free, but I, I can't see Royce there next season. So, and I think there'll be a massive drop-off. So, like, whoever comes in for... um. Whoever comes in and tries to fill the shoes that Rice has put there, it'll be a very difficult job for that fella. Um, and I think you're right, actually, with the fans. They are pretty demanding. Like, at that game, um, they made clear that they weren't happy that the team wasn't playing well. And it was a nothing game. They were true and all that kind of stuff. And I think one guy in particular that is very interesting to keep an eye on is um, Yarmolenko, Andre Yarmolenko. He's one of the, the misses, I suppose you could say, with the signings. Bought for a lot of money, huge mm. reputation, like he's a hero in his homeland and he's just been injured all the time and hasn't really tried. 
well, tried is probably the wrong term, but it doesn't it doesn't look like he's got huge buy-in and the fans don't like him. He was booed off the pitch in that Europa League game by the crowd and jeered as he was going off. And he was he was having arguments with teammates and he was having a pop at young lads and things like this. So like I think with West, I think at all clubs, there is the ability for things to go horribly wrong very quickly. I think at West Ham, that kind of combustible element, it, it makes it a very kind of interesting situation to keep an eye on. Like, I think, um, yeah, that whole Yarmolenko thing, that didn't really sit well with me when I saw that. And there's a few other things, like the fans, even at that Man United game, they played Man United off the park. But the fans, they weren't happy because they lost 2-1, which is which in my mind, it's crazy because I know West Ham from being a struggling team. But you have to remember, West Ham fans, they've been brought up hearing about Bobby Moore, Trevor Brooking, the guys from 1966. They expect their team to, um, it's like, I don't want to say they have an opinion about their team, but they do expect a lot from their team. And so I, I do think, I do think top four is a possibility. I don't think it'll happen. Um, and I do think it is an interesting enough situation to keep an eye on. We could be talking in six months' time and you could be saying, oh, how did I go horribly wrong here with Moyes or West Ham? Well, West Ham did win the World Cup in 1966, which is a, <laughs> is a phrase I've heard a lot since I moved to London uh, six years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what, what I wonder about your point earlier around, you know, or just what you've just been talking about around fans, West Ham fans, potentially what, um, potentially what is their expectations for the club, for the side? Um, what is the target overall? And I suppose being a London club, they might look, they might look across London to, to Tottenham Hotspur, who now are, I mean, we have a top six now, we don't have a top four, um, but they might look across to to them and think, well, they used to be your, I remember, I remember probably 10 years ago, perhaps, or 15, where it used to be Aston Villa, Everton, Tottenham, were like the three outside the top four who were good in for it. Um, and obviously now that's changed a lot um, and they've seen Spurs go from being that side to being you know now a team that if they get it right with the right manager can could actually challenge for Champions League and potentially the title if they get it really right and perhaps they look at a team like Spurs and think can we emulate them in the future even though there is so few spots left in the Premier League for another side to become elite really yeah and and on that point I do think that I do think that's a possibility I do think an awful lot of it depends on Rice. I think we could agree he's probably going to leave in the summer, and um, and that is just going to be such a big loss. Like they're losing mm. one of the best, they're losing one of the best midfielders in the world from West Ham, and you don't know how how I, I don't want to be kind of undercutting West Ham's success because, like, I mean, they've obviously done some brilliant, brilliant stuff, but if you take Rice out of that team, it's a very different team, and I think there is a tension between fans and the board. It's only three or four years ago that fans stormed the pitch in the middle of a Premier League game and, and got it abandoned. So, like, and and mm. if, if you see yeah. West Ham fans on Twitter, an awful lot of them have, like, uh, gold and Sullivan out in their bios and all this kind of stuff. So there is a tension mm. there. And I do think that this success is kind of just, like, a, a plaster over that tension. And it's kind of plastering over the cracks. And it, it could all explode if things start to go badly on the pitch. Yeah, Rice is that like symbol of the revival under Moyes, and he's a symbol of the West Ham kind of academy, you know, production assembly line of that's always been there. But he's a massive symbol of this revival, so I think it'll be met with. I mean, if you, if they get hundred mil from, maybe not, but met with a lot of discontent from fans. So I think it's a watch this space on that. I think I think you're right. 
Yeah, the West Ham board. I was at that game. It was against Burnley where they were complaining about um, the board not spending any money. I think West Ham are one of those sets of fans that do feel entitled. I think all fans are entitled to a degree. You know, Dryden can speak for Newcastle fans that they feel very entitled. But with with, with with West Ham fans, you're right. If it from an era where there was some moderate success in 66 as well, then you expect to do better. You expect to be challenging being a London club, etc. And yeah, when you don't get that, you're often disappointed. And I think, yeah, that sense of entitlement is probably why they think they should deserve better. I think in terms of how tensions will flare, you made a really good point. Uh, I don't think fans like the board still. Uh, my, my, I have a few friends here, West Ham friends. They're very excited. Where I think there's a, is there a, there's a Czech uh, businessman who's bought shares in the club, and they're obsessed with that because they don't want Golden Sullivan there. The only reason why they're quiet about it because the football's good on the pitch. Same with Arsenal fans. They don't like the Cronkays, but you know the club are doing better this season. Therefore, they're silent. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how it goes. But yeah, it, it, once Rice leaves, I don't know where he'll go. I think he'll. He, I think he'll be a bit like Zaha, where. The price quoted for him, only really City and a very desperate United will pay because I think he'll be near £100 million and I don't know who's going to pay that except for those two. I'm not saying Liverpool can't or Chelsea. They just they don't really get dragged into those wars like that. I know they bought Lukaku for lots of money, but Rice is probably a bit different. So we'll have to wait and see how it goes there. But I do think this is kind of the pinnacle, the golden sort of 18 to 24 months we'll see from West Ham before they drift off into... The, in the chase, still in that chasing pack, but not necessarily uh, the leading pack. And kind of to wrap things up is, you know, could we see Moyes at a top club again, or has his time passed? So he's sixty-one. Um, you know, he's been around the block a few times. I, this wouldn't be in England. Uh, you can rule that out straight away because you know he's already done United. I think he'll be scarred for life there. But is there a chance we could see him potentially abroad? There are loads of clubs that that play Champions League football but aren't necessarily. Um, what would I say? They're not necessarily big hitters in those leagues. Could we see him do another broad stint or is he equally scarred from his time at uh, Sociedad? Um, well, you're right. England's a right off straight away. The United job means he won't get the City job, means he won't get the Liverpool job. So you can write England off immediately. Um, I, I don't think he'll get a, a bigger job than West Ham. I don't think he'll get a club the size of West Ham I don't think he'll get a club bigger than West Ham, even if he goes abroad. I'd say he's scarred from that Sociedad time. I can remember, like, you have to remember with Moyes as well. Like, he was kind of one of the first managers that he was just getting trolled on social media the whole time. I can even remember um, people were were making fun of him when he was trying to speak Spanish uh, in a Sociedad uh, press conference and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's something that would stick with you. I wouldn't say he'd fancy going abroad ever again, well, not ever again, he might go on holidays, but I wouldn't say he'd go abroad for uh, for another club. Um, I think, unfortunately, his time has passed, but it is kind of, un- well, unfair might be the wrong word, but if you were to just imagine that Moyes had never managed Man United and you're saying who's the best British manager in the Premier League, it's probably David Moyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there'll be a couple of Brighton fans if, if they're around saying it, it would be, 
Graham Potter, but I, I do think in terms of longevity and that stint at Everton, where they literally were the fifth or sixth best team year on year on year, didn't spend a great deal of money and they were just so tough to beat from Goodison Park. I think Moyes definitely does deserve his credit. And I think he also deserves credit for his renaissance. I think I say this to people all the time, managers have a 10 year peak. I think a lot of elite managers in football come and go in 10 years. So some will last longer, i.e. Mourinho. But after that 10-year period, they're not as good. So we talk in 2004, Porto, to 2014, Chelsea. That's the year before they won the league. Since then, he's not done anything. And I think Moyes does deserve credit for having his peak, so to speak, and then having this renaissance now because that recreation, that being able to go back to basics and to actually be successful, I think, is very hard. I think a lot of managers chased it and never managed to get back to it. Wenger being one, you could argue, argue Carlo Ancelotti, even though he's doing well at Madrid now. But, you know, in the early 2000s, he was winning Champions League year on year at Milan and so on and so forth. So I think, yeah, Moyes does deserve huge credit for that. And yeah, he probably is. If you he, if he took away that, that terrible British period and you removed Fergie from the equation, in terms of active managers, he, he definitely is up there. There's definitely like a Leicester fan somewhere screaming Brendan Rodgers, but yeah. He's an Irish fan. <laughs> yeah, true. He's also an Irishman as well. Um, but yeah, um, we managed to touch on a lot on Sunderland, uh, <laughs> Man United, as well as Arsenal on, on a West Ham pod. But we've also focused on David Moyes, who I think has done a brilliant job at West Ham and rightly deserves his praise. Yes, yes, he does. Um, so I think that's all we have uh, time for today, unfortunately. Thank you, Oisin, for your for coming on today and, and joining us to discuss all things David Moyes and um, West Ham. Um, please check out Oisin's numerous articles on the Breaking the Lions website. He recently has one on Raphael, uh, on Everton, and the demise of Rafael Benitez, am I right? Yeah, Machine? it's uh, another cheerful yeah, piece. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but very, very relevant um, at the moment. So, so yeah, so coming up on our final episodes um, of our Managers Under the Spotlight series, uh, next week we'll be taking a look at Bruno Large and his very efficient Wolves side. So please follow Breaking the Lines and Why Football for all upcoming content. Thank you all for listening. Um, thank you, Ushin, once again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Cool. And we'll see you next time. Brilliant. Cheers, guys.